All of us face choices every day, but some face life-changing choices much earlier than others do, perhaps at a much younger age. Hi, my name is Dr. Chuck Betters. I am the founder of Mark Inc. Ministries, and I am the host of this Help and Hope interview produced by Mark Inc. Ministries. Today, I'm talking with Jonathan Gonzalez, who faced some pretty painful circumstances throughout his childhood. And those circumstances forced him to take on some serious adult decisions far sooner than he was ready to. One night uh, through an event that almost took his life, he was pointed in a direction he never expected. So Jonathan, I wanna welcome you. I'm so glad that you agreed to be interviewed and God has truly worked in your life in miraculous ways. Uh, why don't you start by telling our listeners a little bit about the night that your life changed. Uh, again, I wanna thank you so much for this invitation and doing this, having the, the, the opportunity to share my story and to possibly inspire one individual or many uh, is truly what I was created and really believe why I was left alive to do. So I thank you and, and all, all of everything that you and your staff and your team does to continue what you are doing. Thank you, friend. Appreciate it. Uh, so let me take you into what I call the bloodiest night of my life. I will never forget what I went through that night. Um, I'm 17 years old. I'm a high school. I'm a senior in high school and things are going too good. I, I'm getting in trouble. I'm skipping school. I'm getting high. I'm, I'm partying too much. And the focus was not on what's next for Jonathan after high school. And so I jump into the backseat of a vehicle expecting to get home that night, not knowing that what would happen to me in the backseat of that car would actually change my life forever. Not knowing that what I would experience and the pain that I would go through not only would scar my life, but would change my life forever as we speak. The car pulls up. My friend uh, Jen opens the passenger side door. She pulls her seat up as I jump into the back seat. I jump right in the middle. I remember placing my left leg underneath the driver's side seat and we pull off. We were in a really old school Honda Civic, gray Honda two door. And I remember being about six, seven minutes away from home. For anyone who is from this area, may be familiar with the road called Summers Point Maze Landing Road. And I was heading home. And as you jump on Summers Point Maze Landing Road, I'll never forget seeing the marina as we're going up a little bridge. My cell phone rings. I pull my cell phone out of my pocket and I put it up against my cheek. I'm not paying attention to where we're going or what's going on. Um, it was just a normal night, you know, and it's interesting because you never think anything bad can happen to you, right? But what happened to me that night happened in a blink of an eye. I didn't get a chance to do anything at all. I didn't get a chance to protect myself, to move, to clinch, or prepare myself for the hit. Uh, it happened. I didn't choose what happened to me that night. I look back at it and say, it shows me, but I'm grateful for what I've been through. I, I pick up my phone, I'm looking down and I hear a scream. I hear my friend's scream, which is what caught my attention. I remember looking up and as I look up, all I see is really bright lights. What ends up happening is my friend who was driving was actually under the influence. And back then for me, that was pretty normal. I was okay with jumping into a vehicle and, and that was my culture. Uh, back in those times. And so instead of her turning with the bend, she actually kept going straight. And we ended up hitting a truck head on. This is a bigger truck. You know, this is a, a much, much bigger truck that we hit head on. And what happened, what happened really quick, I hear the scream, I look up, I see lights and bang, 
my left leg ends up getting snagged underneath the seat. My left leg actually became my seatbelt. I wasn't wearing a seatbelt that night. And my whole body was literally launched to the front of the vehicle. My face ends up uh, pretty much being indented into the front windshield. And I suffered a lot of trauma to the face. I also suffered uh, my spleen being ruptured. I was internally bleeding from the hip and my left leg was pretty mangled. I remember opening my eyes. The impact did not kill me or did not leave me unconscious right away. I remember opening up my eyes and just feeling blood coming down my face, but I was unable to move. I'm like stuck. And I look over to my right and I end up seeing my friend. I see the back of her head and I still see her face kind of just indented into the front uh, dashboard of, of the vehicle. I look over to my left and I see the driver was just really out of it. I see blood coming down her face. And, and that's kind of like when it hit. Uh, oh man, I've been in a car accident. And when the pain from my leg began to sunk in, th that is really what took me into desperation mode. You know, my arms were not broken, were not damaged. And so I grabbed my hands and I kind of placed them up against the windshield. And I remember pushing myself off and throwing myself in the back. I remember pulling my leg out, and then that's when I see my leg just hanging by a piece of skin. I've seen pictures of uh, your injuries uh, from visiting one of your other interviews that you've done, and uh, they are horrific. The accident must have been an extremely horrific accident. Well, let, let's talk a little bit about up to that point, up to that night. You were, what, 17? Up, up to that night. Tell us a little bit about what your life was like. So up to that night, uh, my family, we come from Colombia, from South America. My parents transitioned here in the 80s, where Medellin was a very unstable place due to all the drug cartel war going on. Um, I was born here in Dover, New Jersey, and I was raised in Colombia. My mother and father went back. I came back when I was in second grade. I remember coming back to Atlantic City, Atlantic City, New Jersey, and that's where my child, I remember my childhood happening. That's where I remember uh, really doing everything that we could to kind of get ahead. It was not easy, right? We were not set in, in the most adequate place for a future, if I may say. And I remember uh, school being very hard because when I first started, I didn't know no English, uh, you know? And so I had to fight my way through getting bullied and not understanding and to the point where my parents had to move me from one school to another where they had a strong ESL program. Third grade was when I started picking up and coming around and really understanding. Unfortunately, I, I did not have a strong family foundation, if I can say. I, I love my father today, I love my mother, but we did come from a broken family. There was a very, uh, a lot of brokenness, which really affected you know, how a young man was raised and, and, and how I grew to be. I remember stealing at a really young age, I remember lying, stealing, taking things from other young individuals and just kind of uh, doing whatever I wanted to do. And remember being in school and knowing that due to not being able to maybe have something that another individual may have, I, I just found it a rush to take that from them, right? And to own it myself. My parents got divorced when I was 11 and that even created even more of a instability as a young man was trying to grow and to learn what life was about in the same sense of also taking care of my little brothers. I had two younger, I still have two younger brothers. And uh, so life was not easy, not easy at all. Got in trouble at a very early age, started smoking weed, I would say around eighth, 
ninth grade. It went from smoking weed to then selling it to maintain my habit and lost interest of future, lost interest of who I wanted to become, really got involved in what we would say the street life at a young age. Now, your parents were divorced when you were how old? I was about 11 or 12. I was in middle school when it happened. And that creates a whole, whole different environment for you when your parents are, are divorced. Tell us a little bit about the difficulty of living in that kind of environment. It's interesting because in the moment, you really don't, don't see the void it creates or, or what it can do to a young individual. And so in the moments, for me, it was just part of life. We're just growing. And so we just kind of survived and, and adapted to whatever came. But looking back, I can see how hard it was to just not have you know, a father every day. Uh, that was a huge void. Uh, my father's a great man, hardworking man, and he made sure to provide monetarily. But that wasn't there. You know, a, a father to show you, hey, this is how you speak to a lady or this is how, this is how you use a drill. Um, hey, this is how you save your money. Hey, that's not how you speak to people. I wouldn't say that my father never taught me that, but because of there being a broken home, it wasn't consistent enough. And so as I grew, and then once I, once I turned teenager, even if he got involved, I, I was completely blocking him off or, or just not accepting any instruction his way. So it was not easy, not easy at all, for sure. So what would you say to a father right now who uh, has a son that's maybe acting the way you were acting? What would you say to him about the stability issue of, of him being involved in that kid's life? I would say stay consistent, right? Uh, do everything you can to spend time with that young individual. Get to know him, right? Uh, instead of maybe trying to tell him everything you want him to hear, maybe take some time to hear him out and, and listen to where that young individual is at and, 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 and build trust, right? Trust is a huge, huge thing, um, which is something that I, I try to do myself with my little one. I have two little ones at home. So I, I want to be there. You know, I don't just want to, be at home, but I really want to be there when I'm there. It's so easy to not do that, to provide monetarily or, or make sure bills are being paid and there's food in the fridge and come home and, and not be there. Does that make sense? So if, if I can speak to a father right now, it's just, just be there, be consistent, be, I'm not sure if I'm using the right word, but be ferocious about being a part of their lives. And even if they're messing up, even when they're messing up, be gracious, accept them back, love them, teach them, in their errors and in their faulty, we're not perfect. Love them unconditionally. And, and something will break through once that young individual passes through his season. And just, just be there would be the two words that, that I would share with the father. Let's take you back into the nightmare of the car crash. It turned out to be a life-changing event for you. I understand you prayed a prayer that night. That night was interesting. Uh, this is what I would call the prayer that changed everything. And it really did. I get chills just saying these words and just thinking about this. Here I am laying in the backseat of this car. Firemen arrive. First responders arrive. There's noise. And here's a 17-year-old boy holding his leg up, bleeding to death, right? I was scared. I was. You know, when you're facing death, when you know you are getting ready to die, I don't care who you are, what you've done, how big you are. Uh, when you know you're getting ready to die, it's, it's a scary feeling. It really is. And so I remember firemen doing everything they can to break windows and to get to where I was at. And they just could not get to me because of how the, the vehicle ended up. 
And this is where I have the experience that I really believe has marked my life and has really launched me into what I am doing today. At the age of 17, as I'm laying down bleeding to death, I prayed for the first time. I did. I had no idea who I was praying to. And, and Chuck, I had no idea what I was getting myself into as I prayed that prayer. I had no idea that that, that prayer would be answered that someone would answer my cry. And the prayer was simple. At that time, I did not know that what I was doing was actually repenting of my sins and of my lifestyle, and that I was turning back to my father in heaven, whom I never knew. I didn't. I wasn't raised to chase after God. I wasn't raised in that environment. For me, my environment was survival, adapting, and and just getting through whatever adversity was coming. And so I prayed, I said, Father, I'm sorry. I'm so sorry for who I've been and what I've done. And I said, if you give me one more chance to live, I'll come back and serve you. Again, I had no idea what I was getting myself into when I prayed that prayer, but I am so glad that I did. The second I prayed that, in the midst of the agony, in the midst of the chaos, I felt a peace. I really did. I felt a peace and a love enter into where I was laying down then. I'll never forget the feeling. I, I still get emotional and, and weird when, when I am taken back to the moment where it all happened. I'll never forget what I seen. I actually uh, really feel that I, I had a, a near-death experience. I remember seeing pictures, picture after picture, pictures of, of me being young, little baby. I really felt like my, my life flashed before my eyes in a really, really quick way. And the last image I remember seeing was the... Um, the face of my mother, the picture of my mother. And in the midst of all that, I'm, here I am holding on. I literally took my last breath uh, in peace in the midst of, of that beautiful feeling that at times I, I, I get and feel when I'm worshiping God, to be honest, you know. It's a peace that's not that far away. It's attainable. And so here I am, I take my last breath and I'm closing my eyes and I'll never forget hearing this loud bang right above my head. And the firefighters were able to get to me with the jaws of life at that moment. I remember hearing a very loud noise. And I remember seeing a firefighter's hand coming down to grab me as I closed my eyes. Mm. And that's where it happened. I really believe that that's where the prayer that changed everything initiated the journey that I am on today. We'll come back to that prayer in just a moment. You then were taken to the hospital, faced multiple sur- surgeries. You were in a coma for some period of time, is that correct? Uh, yes, I was in a coma for three weeks. Oh, wow. And you eventually woke up after multiple surgeries. You eventually woke up. What was it like finally waking up? Waking up was really hard. I actually remember the very first time I woke up, I woke up and I started yanking tubes out. I was hooked up to a lot of tubes in my mouth. I remember waking up to uh, my leg freshly being put back together. I didn't know what was going on. And so from the desperation of all that, the unknowing, uh, I actually ended up, I think, hurting myself a bit, not knowing what was going on. And so I think they put me back to sleep. And I remember the second time I woke up, I woke up actually kind of like strapped to, to the, uh, the bedside. But I remember waking up confused in a lot of pain. Uh, my face was hurting a lot. And at that time, when I first woke up, my jaw was still not worked on. So with my tongue, I was moving my jaw around. Um, I remember the doctors and the nurses coming in and, and being extremely surprised that my eyes, I was awake. When I woke up, I was in a semi-vegetable state. All I could do was move my, my hands a bit. 
all I could do was hear. It was extremely hard. One of my first thoughts, to be honest, was why am I alive? Why, why am I breathing right now? For what reason? I mean, I, I literally have to start from scratch. My left leg, all the injuries really caused a trauma, uh, not just to my external young body, but also to my mind and, and the way I seen myself. It had to have been, been very hard for you as a teenager to go through something like this with probably a thousand questions as to the whys and the wherefores. But everything changed for you so suddenly. You're, you're going in one direction one second, and all of a sudden everything has changed and you're moving in a, in a different direction. What was the hardest part of the recovery for you? The hardest part of the recovery, I believe it, it went in stages. I think one of the hardest parts was getting back up and learning to do things that we do on a daily, meaning I kind of had to learn how to walk again. I lost a lot of weight. I mean, I, I was weighing about 88, 90 pounds when I woke up. I had to learn to tie my shoes. I had to learn how to move around. I had to learn to even simple things as going and using the bathroom were, were painful. And, and so having to start from scratch was, was very, very hard. Um, my mouth was wired shut for almost a year, about eight months. So I was being fed through a tube in my stomach. So you were in the hospital for a year? I was in the hospital for about four months, hmm. and, but I, my mouth was wired shut for uh, eight months. I believe you got addicted to opioids? I did, yeah. The, the, the hospital was giving me morphine and Percocets uh, to, uh, to get by, and I came out with a massive, massive, massive addiction for sure. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, so I, here I am about four or five months out. I am at home mouth is wired shut and what I was pretty much ingesting through my stomach was about 10 to 15 per 10s a day. I was waking up and crushing the pills myself and diluting them and then putting them in the syringe and, and through my stomach. And that went on for months, you know, and so at the age of 17, almost 18, that took me into a, a dark, very, very dark place for sure. Um, once the doctors found out that I was addicted to them, you know, they stopped prescribing them. Um, I went right back into the streets. I went right back to smoking weed. I went right back to medicating myself and doing whatever I had to do to keep my mind off of the trauma and uh, the pain and the struggle that I had just went through that past year. When you say you went to the streets, explain that. What, what did you, how did you get your pills? Before my car accident, I... I would have been the individual that could have provided you with, with weed or whatever you were looking to get high with. And if it wasn't me, then I pretty much had a connection somewhere to get it for you. And so, uh, you know, my friends and the streets received me with wide open arms. They did. You know, I was that miracle boy that made it out of this crazy car accident. And on top of that, the car accident did leave, a, uh, there was a lawsuit and it did leave me with, with some money. And unfortunately, I just wasn't ready to manage that kind of money at all. You know, there was thousands of dollars in a little green card. And here I am at the age of 17, almost 18. Uh, I was 18 when I requested my card. I remember doing that. And I was addicted. And I went, I went right back into the streets. I went right back into my old environment. I, I bought big amounts of drugs. And I, I medicated myself for a very long time. When, when the weed was just not doing it, I had to step up to other pills. And uh, when other drugs came into our, our contact, like not just opiates, but 
um, ecstasy pills and uh, other uh, other harder drugs. Uh, that's when I made the mistake of starting to consume them, which is what led me to a, a very dark, dark pit for sure. Who were the adults in your life at that point? Anybody? So my, my mother was there, but she was working, single mom. My family knew that I was very involved in the street life. My family knew that I was in a very dark place. I, I, actually, I lost feeling of everything. I didn't care if I died. I didn't care if I hurt someone. And unfortunately, that's what it does to you. That's what an addiction can do to you, especially when you're surrounded with in an environment where you were kind of built to survive and to, to get over on, on the next individual if they're not part of you or your team or, or your brotherhood. So, yeah, you know, I had, I had individuals that, that would reach out to me, but if, if, if we were making money or getting high together, I really didn't have much time to talk to you. You know, and so uh, I really, I, I shut myself off from a lot of the help that came my way for sure. Well, obviously you have recovered from the addiction. Uh, I'd like you to spend a couple of minutes taking us through your recovery from addiction because that had to be a very dark place for you. It was a very dark place. You know, I remember having everything that I, I needed as a young adult at that time. This was years of addiction from weed to cocaine to ecstasy pills, back and forth, back and forth. And I, I'll never forget this. Here I am in my, uh, in my room. I, I actually turned my mother's um, garage into like a little, a little apartment for myself. And so here I am in this, in this mini apartment that I created. And I was empty. I mean, uh, I did not want to live. I was not happy. I was not fulfilled. People would come to me and say, Jonathan, you, man, you made it out. Like, you know, you got, you're blessed. You're a miracle. But inside, I, I didn't feel that at all. I felt far from that. I, not only did I attempt multiple times to actually take my life, uh, it just wasn't happening. It wouldn't work. Um, and I remember being in my room and I'm crying. Here, here I am, a young adult, I'm crying, uh, trying to cry myself to sleep of why I was feeling this way. And I was just tired of everything. And I, I literally felt like I was taken back to that car accident. Something happened to me where I felt that I was taken back into the backseat of that car when I asked for what I asked for, you know, and, and I felt this, this, I didn't hear nothing audible. It was just an experience that I had as I was crying where I felt something to, to this likeness. You know, I, I gave you what you asked for. You asked for life. You asked for another chance to live and you said you would serve me. And then something just clicked. Something clicked in that moment. And the aspect of me not doing anything at all to actually attempt to figure out who I pray to, who I'm supposed to serve, or, or what happened to me that night. Something happened to me that night. And that night initiates a journey that I begin on in regards to seeking who answered my prayer. Who did I pray to? I cried out to someone. I cried out and I was heard. It's been hard. It's been a hard five years. It's been horrible. It really has. But something sparked that night. And so my journey of seeking begins. I'm trying to figure out who I pray to. And I'll be honest with you, I, the last thing I picked up was the Bible. I did not pick up. I was very skeptical of the Bible. And it was just, it was a big book. It was scary. It was hard to read. And so, you know, I, I looked everywhere. I'm looking in meditation. I'm looking in, in Buddhism. I'm looking in all types of different self-help books. I'm even looking to tap into my, my Catholic roots of my family to see if something's there, right? But, but nothing, not, nothing was working, to be honest. And, and then in the midst of this, I'm, I remember I begin to, 
I'm writing my prayers out. One thing that made a lot of sense that I remember very clearly was that I prayed to God. I prayed to someone. And so I just, I just continue, I started to write and, and write my prayers and, and, and write where I wanted to be. And, and, and I just was just writing and writing. I've been a writer for many years. And so a, a missionary or a church leader comes to my home to actually pray for my mom. My mother was going through a lot. I put my mother and my family through a lot. I, I have to be honest. And she comes. I'm not open to speaking to her, but I'm just watching. And she comes and she ministers to my mom. She speaks to my mom. She prays for my mom. She listens to my mom. And she leaves a book behind. And so this book is called uh, A Purpose Driven Life. It was in Spanish. And she left it on my mom's drawer. And my mother never picked it up or opened it. And so here I am in the seeking of, of seeking. And this book just, it just, I felt like it was like, pick me up, grab me, right? Um, I actually have it here. Uh, this isn't the book. Uh, ever since that, I've been just on a mission to give this book out if I, if I have more than one and, and, and recommend it and stuff. And so I grabbed this book and I asked, mom, are you reading this? And she says, no. And so I grabbed it and I began to read it. I did. So I really believe that me coming out of everything that I came out of was a mixture of me praying to my father, asking for me to be delivered from the feeling of depression, the feeling of suicide, the feeling of not knowing why I was here. And I began to read. I literally just began. I opened this book up and it just it spoke to me. It met me where I was at. I was able to understand what I was reading. And I, I'm completely convinced that Due to the obedience of the man who wrote this, this book led me a step closer to my Father in Heaven who was drawing me in in that season. So yeah, prayer and reading. I began to read, began to read His Word. And, and that's what, what really uh, began to set everything else apart. Because what I began to experience and feel was something extremely different from all the other things that I was trying in that season. So we're, we're taken back now to that prayer in the back seat which you would have been 17 years old when that happened. Now you're what, about 22? Correct. Okay, and you're reading Rick Warren's book, The Purpose Driven Life, a book that has been used by God in so many people's lives. One of the, one of the best-selling books ever by a Christian author. Your addiction is still there. You're fighting it. You're trying to obviously come off of the various drugs that you were on. Now God is reminding you of the prayer that you prayed. You made a promise to him. You know, I, I've done studies in uh, what I call the rash vows of the Bible. So many, so many people made rash vows, and we still do it today. Lord, if you get me out of this mess, I'll serve you for the rest of my life. Well, that sounds like something you did. But then he took you at, he took you at your word, right? He, he decided at that point, okay, it's about time for you to pay the vow back that you made to me. So what happened after you read the book by Rick Warren? What's happened to your life since then? It's been an incredible journey. I look back and I, I sometimes literally come to tears when I'm in my private time seeking God in the mornings or even on my rides home. Here, this, this book has a, one of the things that happens is there's a day in here where it tells you, all right, you've accepted Christ. And I, I remember actually like reading, I, I was really believing what I was reading, you know? And so here I am feeling the change, experiencing the deliverance from the addiction. And so I remember picking up my, my phone and calling my aunt, who always was there saying, uh, Jonathan, you know, you were left here for a reason. She was always really affirming a, a lot of goodness over my life, but I, I just never listened. I called her and I said, hey, 
I've accepted Christ into my life. You know, I've made him my Lord and Savior. Uh, this book that your friend left behind, I'm, I'm just following what it's saying. And it, it tells me that I need to tell someone that I've accepted Christ. So I'm calling you. And there was just this excitement on the phone. Um, there was just this, this joy. Then there's another day that comes to in this book where it says, all right, now it's time for you to find yourself a church and to learn and to be a part of a community. And I remember me attending my little cousin's marriage. He got married in a local church. That was the only church that I could think of. Uh, that I felt that I needed to go to. And so I walked in and never walked out. <laughs> I, I remember walking in, I wasn't sure of what was going on. It was the first time that I actually experienced someone preaching, you know, really teaching from the pulpit. And I sat down, I had a really interesting experience because as I'm listening, I just get a, like a flash or a picture of me being up there. Now at that moment, I'm like, no way, there's no way. But I felt really accepted. I felt at home, if that makes sense. It's incredible because that same church that I walked into and I never walked out, I, you know, I ended up serving in youth ministry. Uh, I've served there alongside of the other pastor for about nine years now. That led me to what I do here at another bigger organization. And that led to next month, I'm actually getting ordained as one of the other pastors at that church that I never walked out of. And I'm, yeah, passing on the, the baton of youth ministry in that church to young adults that have been raised up around me that have just caught the vision of, of serving our community, seeking God and just growing and, uh, and pointing other individuals to God. That youth ministry experience, which was interesting, led me to where I'm here at the Ocean City Tabernacle, which is a bigger organization and been around, I believe almost for 140 years or so now. I was asked to come and speak at a youth event uh, there was two, three hundred youth at the same stage here. And uh, then that opened the door to, hey, you should come and, and, and work with our middle school boys that are out of control in our after school program. And uh, I didn't accept the offer there because I had a full time job. I had to take care of my little daughter and my wife. But then something happened and I called them and said, hey, is that position still open? And so I came back and I started serving in, their, in, in that aspect of ministry with our after school program. And um, that led to other things, other doors open. I stayed consistent with my local church. I stayed consistent here. And now I'm actually uh, one of the other directors. I'm a director of facilities and director of youth ministry and, and heavily involved in what we do here behind the scenes. Do you remember when God called you to your vow? I definitely know it was my early 20s. And it was in that time of desperation where I was in my room, um, very stressed out, experiencing a lot of darkness. And so, yeah, I must have been about 21. 2021. And he reminded you of the prayer that you prayed in the backseat of that car. Absolutely. I'll never forget that night uh, of, the, of the reminder of, hey, I answered your prayer. I, I gave you what you asked me for, but you failed to keep your end. And that's why you're feeling the way you're feeling. And so that, that's the night where something clicked. You like to say, I am more than my scars. What does that mean? And tell us a little bit about the book that you're writing. Excellent. So I am more than my scars. It's really a movement, right? I think every individual here on earth has gone through stuff, pain, strife, trauma at different levels. Maybe you don't have to go through what I've been through and I, I don't wish this on anyone at all. But even the, the young person or individual who has had it all still faces trials and tribulations, whether at work, career, internally. And so I am more than my scars is just something that says, you know, I am not what I have done. I am what I have overcome, right? My identity is not on, on my failures and, and, and my pain, 
but it's really in, in who I am in God and, and how he sees me. Um, I am more than my scars is a movement here around me um, that, that says, hey, we're going to point individuals to, uh, to Christ, right? We, we are young men and young women who are going through stuff, but we're going to actually, just as you mentioned, we're going to look back and see how we can reach to someone else and point them to how to overcome whatever they are going through, through the power of prayer and through the power of seeking God, which is, which is initially what we are called to do. We need to reach and, and do everything that we can to, to find who we are in our Father's eyes. You know, if, if that's not done, uh, we have a very hard time finding our identity. Because it doesn't start with us, it starts with Him. You are what we would call in Christian circles a success story, where you hit the, you hit the skids, you're down there in the dark pit, and you pray, and God holds you to the prayer, and your life is redeemed and turned around. He brings beauty out of ashes. But for some, it doesn't always work that way, does it? For there's, I'm sure there is someone right now who's in that room where you were, in that darkness, in that loneliness, wondering what in the world God's plan or purpose is for their life, if, if there is a God. And he's hearing this interview and he's saying, ah, oh, that's, that's great, Jonathan. I'm, gr- I'm glad that worked out for you, but I don't see that happening for me. What would you say to that person right now who's really hanging on by a thread? I, I would say chase after him, right? Do not give up. And, and even though it may feel and, and, and you may sense that you have no other option or that you're not being heard, you are being heard right? Uh, you are being heard and your father loves you and, and your father's waiting for you. Like he is literally on his, on his toes waiting for you to turn back to him. Is it easy? Absolutely not. Nothing is easy at all in life. But I can assure you one thing that what God has done in my life and what he has done through my life, he is able to do through yours also. So he is hearing you. He is there for you. Draw near to him. Like take one step to him and, and watch him take a few towards you. You know, I'm a father right now. I love my children. And if my little one falls or gets hurt on the other side of the house, I am rushing to him. I am rushing to his cry. I am doing whatever. I'll drop whatever I'm doing and get to him to see what is going on with my child. And likewise, I really feel like our father in heaven does the same to us and and sees us in that same area. So I I would say cry, cry out to him and, and, and watch. Watch what he would do. Watch how he will really approach and, and seek after your heart. So, yeah, yeah, that's what I would say. I would say, don't give up. You keep crying. You keep pushing. You keep going. There, there's going to be days where you feel you're not feeling anything. There'll be days where you're ready to end, but you got to stay consistent. You got to keep pushing. You got to keep persevering. We know from reading Hebrews 11, which we wrote a book on uh, called Treasures of Faith, and we study the characters of the Hall of Fame. I call it the Hall of Faith of the Old Testament saints who put their faith and trust in the Lord, whom God wants to use greatly, he must first break deeply. Wow. And it sounds like he broke you deeply so that he can now use you greatly. Uh, what's the future hold for you, do you see? I mean, what, what goals or dreams or visions do you have for your life from this point forward? That's a, that's a great question. Thank you for sharing that, um, that thought at the end. That means a lot. Absolutely. Uh, today, um, I'm, I'm a husband, right? And so I'm learning that uh, there's a lot of good things coming my way, but I need to make sure that there are the God things, what God wants me to do in this season. So I'm really focused on making sure that I'm being the husband I'm called to be to my wife. 
that I'm being the father at home and that I'm leading my home. I'm being extremely intentional on that before taking on any new ventures or, or, or continuing to chase um, what I feel would be the dream come true. I'm really living the dream right now as we speak. I'm in the process of writing a book called I Am More Than My Scars, and it's really a, uh, a detailed oriented of my story. Um, you know, and I go more in depth with how to overcome certain topics, how to overcome uh, addiction, how I overcame so on and so on. I, I have the opportunities to speak in many different places. And one of the places where it really lights a fire in my heart is when I'm placed in schools and in settings that are not church oriented. I, I will forever be willing to speak in churches. I, I think I will do that until there's no more breath in my body. But there's just something special about being placed in a secular arena and bringing my story and bringing the, bringing the love of God without, you know, preaching a sermon. The opportunities that I've had to do that have really inspired me to do it long term. And so I'm really fired up about writing this book because I've, I've had beautiful moments with, with students and individuals and, and I want to leave something behind more than just a 20 minute or a 30 minute presentation. Uh, I really want them to, to know that, listen, I, what happened to me that night is that I prayed. Uh, what happened to me that night is that I, I had an encounter with God and a, rela- a relationship with Christ will change your life. You know? And so, yeah, I'm, I'm fired up about writing this book. I have a, a pretty big day next month, which I'm, I'm getting ordained as another of the local pastors in my local church. And I, I'm trying to take it as, all right, it's just another Sunday. We'll we're going to make it happen. But my wife and, and others are telling me, hey, this is big. This is, this is a big thing. So, so yeah, yeah. Excited to see, uh, you know, where our after-school program goes this year. You know, we have an after-school program that draws about 120 kids a day from K to 8. I help uh, direct and oversee our middle school reach. And we're looking to take that to new heights this year. And we're looking to launch a, a high school reach here for the high school students. And so, yeah, I'm just, I'm just looking to be obedient. I want to be better at being obedient with the little things. Try not to look too far ahead and, and just really enjoy the season that I'm in of learning, growing, um, and, and continue impacting every individual that I come in contact with. Well, we have been married, Sharon and I, for over 50 years. Wow. And we look back at, uh, at our ministry, some of it in the streets of Philadelphia and some of it in the suburbs of Wilmington, and here we are today serving the body of Christ with Mark Ministries. And I can tell you that from the very beginning of our marriage, we have made it clear to anyone who was willing to listen that our, our number one priority is our personal relationship to Jesus Christ. And then second to that, even above the ministry, even above the work of the church, is our relationship to each other and uh, to our children, then our work and our responsibilities. Uh, and we keep those priorities right. And God has over the 50 plus years, he has allowed us to be blessed so richly with our kids who are in ministry and our grandkids, our 14 grandkids who are, who are learning what the legacy looks like and to experience Christ themselves. And I see a young man sitting in front of me right now doing this interview, uh, whom I believe God has a very great and powerful purpose he saved your life for a reason. Uh, he broke you deeply for a reason. And uh, I want to thank you for sharing that powerful story where you are offering help and hope to hurting people. I am Chuck Betters, and you have been listening to a help and hope interview produced by Marking Ministries. 
And you can uh, visit us at markinc.org, M-A-R-K-I-N-C.org. And there you're going to find numerous free resources designed to encourage you uh, on your own life pathway. And your story, I'm sure, is, uh, is different, maybe in some respects the same, including stories like, like Jonathan's here. Our Help and Hope Resource Library is, is filled with conversations with people who have experienced or are experiencing life-changing circumstances uh, that have resulted in sorrow or brokenness, and sometimes, as you heard here today, even hopelessness. Yet each person transparently shares how their faith equipped them to walk with strength and dignity in the power of Christ. Now, we, we cover all sorts of life crises, such as death and terminal illness and grief and adultery and caregiving, uh, raising special needs kids, depression, and even a series for military families. Listeners will often tell us that though they have not experienced uh, like traumas, they are encouraged by each story to know uh, that the Lord will be faithful to them when they do. Uh, Our resources are free, but let's face it, they're really not free people who share our vision to offer help and hope underwrite each one of these. And if you have been encouraged by Jonathan's story and maybe look forward to his book the way I do, uh, or any of our resources, I want you to prayerfully consider supporting Mark Inc. Ministries. Uh, All of our resources, as I said, are free, but it takes money to produce them and distribute them, and we need your help. And you can safely give at markinc.org. That's M-A-R-K-I-N-C.org. And uh, there's no such thing as a small gift, too small. And I want to thank you for listening. And Jonathan, I want to thank you for your transparency. And uh, I look forward to further work with you, my friend. Same here. Likewise. Thank you so much for the opportunity. And uh, I really pray, I'll be praying for you and your team and that God continues to do the mighty work that he's doing through you guys. Thank you so much. If you're listening to this and you do not know the Christ of whom we speak, uh, I want to give you the opportunity to put your faith and trust in him. And we have people available who can walk you through that, who can help you to find and to discover uh, the very same Christ, the very same Lord that uh, you heard described here with Jonathan. Uh, Just please let us know how we can help you. You can either email us at markinc.org, or you can call us at 877-MARK-INC. And uh, we would be more than happy to have someone talk with you, walk this this, uh, journey with you, and uh, bring you to understand what faith in the Lord Jesus Christ looks like. Friend, I want to thank you for listening. Thank you for uh, experiencing this interview with Jonathan. And what we like to say here is God is sovereign. You can trust him. And to God be the glory.